And another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, and watch these next two words, is likened. It's not, but it's likened to this. And I'll say more about the kingdom in introduction in just a minute. It's likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants say unto him, Wilt thou then that we, should, that we go and gather them up? Listen to the wisdom now. But he said, Nay. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the tare, first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into the barns. Verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, not the church, by the way. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are angels. I believe anybody and everybody in here can understand that, don't you? As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be welling, gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth the Son of the kingdom of God who hath hears, let him hear. Father, we're thankful today for the privilege of being in this place, for the songs of Zion that were sung, the teaching, Lord, that we received and heard this morning, the fellowship of the saints. It's good, Father, like David said, to be in the house of the Lord. You know our hearts, God, you know the day that we live in the world, uh, that, uh, that we traffic in, and we're glad to tell you we know that we're in the world, but thank God not of the world. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear what the Spirit has said, help us to glean the teaching that you would have us to glean, and help us to understand the purpose behind this parable that you have not only spoken, but recorded and preserved for us today. Have your own way in our hearts, God our Father. If there's somebody backslidden, somebody lost, somebody, God, needing a touch today. Among your people, I pray that you would touch them in a special way. Have your own way with this word. Refresh my mind. Loosen my tongue and let me say everything I need to, nothing I shouldn't, and I'll praise you. Yea, we'll give you the glory and honor for all things, for we ask it. And that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, all God's people said. Look, if you will, verse 37, the Bible said, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Wait just a minute. Ah, there it is, 30, 36. Now, 37, 
Then Jesus said unto the multitude, Away, went into the house, and the disciples coming and saying, Departing, he declared to us the parable of the tares of the field. That's what I want to talk about uh, today. I want to talk about the parable of the tares among the wheat. Now, as we look at chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, we've come to understand because of our first two messages that these mystery parables tell what will transpire during this age that we're living in. It's the age of the church. It's the dispensation of grace. But it is more specifically to this passage of Scripture, the purpose for which Jesus gave these seven parables is to educate us on what will happen during the period of time that the kingdom that Jesus came to establish and rule over has been postponed. Postponed because the nation of Israel rejected him, therefore he rejected them. So during this age, we see the mystery parable of the kingdom of heaven played out in our lives and more specifically in this world in which we live in traffic. Now let me say this. In this world, we know the church is in existence. This is where we do our, uh, our work. This is where we represent Christ. This is where we are ambassadors. But let me emphasize this. It's important. This parable is about the field, is about the world not the church. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. That may be hard to grasp, hard to understand, and a lot of this can be applicable to the church without a doubt, with the exception, listen, Satan in the church does have no power to sow his children in that, and I say God, I, glory to God right there. Now let me clarify that. He does have his people who come in the church and try to cause their issues, but they are not birthed in that. They're not part of that church. Y'all got that, don't you? All right, so, so you all pray for me. Pray for yourself. As we look at this second, this second uh, story that Jesus threw down alongside a great truth, a great heavenly truth, so that they might understand it. And you know what? He did that in order to explain. He wanted those, now listen, he wanted those who had eyes to see, to see, those who had ears to hear, to hear. So don't close your eyes to this. Don't close your ears to this. God hasn't placed a uh, judicial judgment upon us. It is available for us to get, and there is a message in this that we need in this day and in this hour. Let me give you one other point to a parable, and I'll try to move on. There's so much to say. I, I, when I get done, there'll be more to say than what I have. So I'll take more home with me than when I leave with you. But look, in every parable, there is one main message that is being transmitted. And we'll find out what that one main message is in this parable. Although it's made up uh, of the Son of God, of the enemy, which is the devil, of good seed, which are children of the kingdom, bad seeds, which are children of the devil, of wheat and tares, and of angels and judgment and fire and barns. It's made up of a lot of things. But there is one reason that Jesus said, listen to the parable of the tares. As Jesus explained the parable 
of the tares. I want you to know he made mention several times of the field. Now Matthew is the only one that records this parable. Mark chapter 4 gives you one or two. Luke chapter 8 has some and there are other parables throughout the word of God. Let me give you something on Luke's parables. I'll explain this more sometime but Luke's parables are parables of contrasts. Meaning that just like that uh, king that would not grant the um, request of that widow woman that kept coming to him uh, time and time again and finally he just got aggravated and said I'm tired of putting up with that I'll grant her God's not like that God, everybody heard me say God's not like that say amen his parables are parables of contrast when you look at it one side turn around and look at it the other one that's probably the way God meant for us to see it it's pretty amazing what God has done but he said another parable. Another thing about this parable is the use, or these parables of Matthew, is the use of the phrase kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. Somebody said, now preacher, are they one and the same? Watch what I'm going to say. Mm, yes, no. They, they are connected without a doubt. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom over which Jesus is ruling in a spiritual sense, will rule in a physical sense. One day will be delivered up to the Father. But this kingdom that we're preaching about is a literal kingdom, a physical kingdom, a kingdom that was prophesied about in the Old Testament that will, listen, be manifest in a future date not very long off. I am persuaded when Jesus the Messiah from the throne of David, his father and the city of Jerusalem will sit and rule over the kingdom that will fill the earth. So it is a literal kingdom whereas the kingdom of God is more a spiritual kingdom if you'll allow me to say it that way uh, than the kingdom of heaven. Both are real. Both are real. So this kingdom, this kingdom that uh, God promised David in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, he said, now listen, he said, I, I'm going to promise you something. You'll never lack a son to sit on the throne in your kingdom. You know what? God's kept his promises. Thank God. God's kept his promise. If I had time, I'd take a side a step to the genealogy of Jesus and show you how that, uh, that God's going to fulfill that, not through a man by the name of Solomon, but his little lesser known brother by the name of Nathan. God's got a way about him. Listen, when Satan tries to destroy God's ways, he'll never fail. Hey, if the sun and the moon and the stars and all those ordinances could be stopped, listen, then and the kingdom and the program of God can be stopped. But I want you to know when God set them in order a few years ago, they're still there and they will be until he's done with them. Amen. I'm glad for that. So glad for that. Now look, there are three aspects of this kingdom that I'm preaching about. When Jesus was on planet earth, he referred to it, and so did John the Baptist as the kingdom of heaven is at hand. At that time, it was because you had the nation of Israel that was looking for a king uh, and a kingdom that they uh, would be a part of. The king was at hand. He was in their midst. Jesus even said that. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Now everybody look up here and listen. He wasn't talking about in their heart. 
He wasn't talking about it's in the midst of your heart, but it's in the midst of you. It's right here. You're surrounding it. Here's the king. Here's his people. And here's the city of Jerusalem from which he's going to reign in the city of David. And they couldn't see it. They rejected it. And you say, why? Because they had their mind made up on how their king would come. And Jesus did not fit their expectations. So we need to be very cautious with expectations. Can I tell you, y'all, y'all don't pay attention to things I'm going to say. You two that are getting married in a week, are y'all listening? Expectations will cause all kinds of troubles. Well, let me clarify that. False expectations. If you have an expectation and he don't fulfill it, you're going to have a bad day. If you have an expectation and she don't fulfill it, you're going to have a bad day. You'll have worse than, than she will, though. Trust me on that. Trust me. Trust me. Now, when you meet her expectation, you meet his, it's real good. But remember, it's your expectation. Unless you don't communicate it, don't expect to give it with disappointment. That's good counsel. Y'all hear me? I could go with anybody. Everybody in this marriage say amen. Y'all ought to apply the same thing. So they had expectations to how their king would come. And because he didn't come riding white horse, conquering the nation of Rome and establishing their uh, 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 a kingdom with a power, they rejected him. They had Old Testament prophecy that showed that he would be a suffering Messiah and a reigning Messiah. He's already suffering. I'm glad to say glory to God. Hey, Greg, it's not in my notes. When he comes the next time, he won't come to suffer. He'll come to rule and reign forever. I say glory. Hallelujah. Y'all didn't seem to get excited about that, but exciting up here. So the one aspect when Jesus was here as the kingdom was at hand. We're living in another aspect of the kingdom. It's been postponed. There's a lot of people, and the reason we started our Bible study on the dispensation, uh, on the study of dispensational truth, is that we believe here at Roxolana because the Word of God teaches it that Israel is Israel. The church is the church. The church never supplants or replaces Israel in a spiritual way. God promised them a kingdom. God promised us something great. And he's going to fulfill promises to to Israel and also to the church. They are two separate entities in the program of God. Israel is the Old Testament elect. The church is the New Testament elect. Y'all go home and figure that one out. I can explain it to you, but in this day, people that don't understand election, I don't know, biblically speaking. But during this postponement phase, the mystery parable of the kingdom of heaven is playing out in all these parables. And then there is a future aspect. You say, when is that, preacher? Soon. I mean soon. The church has got to be gone before it happens. The tribulation has to come and go before it happens. But believe me, I've read it. I'm getting happy again. I've read in the the end of the Bible, chapter 19, where Jesus will come back, not for the rapture, but in the revelation on a white horse leading the armies of heaven. He'll have upon his thighs a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. He'll be wearing a vesture 
that's dipped with blood or in blood and it'll come to whoop up on Satan, Antichrist, the false beast, the false prophet and all those who rejected him in this world. And I say glory. I'm going to be close enough to him, bless God, get a little blood on me. I mean that. I mean that. Now look, in verses 36 through 40, Christ gives the teaching or the interpretation of this parable with all of those things in the mind, the past, present, the future aspects of the kingdom. And this is what Jesus was asked. After that, he got off the boat onto the shore, probably went in to the home of Peter down at Capernaum right near the synagogue that is there and when he got in his house his disciples came to him privately and said declare to us the parable of the sower or make it known everybody look up here everybody look up here everybody looking up here say amen God wants us to understand this book revelation is an unveiling the book of Daniel was given Daniel was given a commandment when he wrote the book to shut it up in this day, the book of Daniel is even open. God wants us to know. And sinner friend, he wants you to know that judgment's coming. Hell will wait you if you reject Jesus as your Savior. By the way, you don't want to go to that place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So he gives us this parable. And it gives us, thank God, the interpretation. Only two of the seven parables that are interpreted. We looked at the parable of the, of the sower of the seed last week. And this week we're looking at the parable of the tear sown among the weak. So number one, look. Look at what the Word of God says. And I'm not going to read it. I'll just, I'll just read from my notes. First of all, the sower of the good seed is the Son of God, the Son of Man, actually, which was his favorite title. How many of y'all knew that? Raise your hand. He's the Son of God, but he loved the title Son of Man. Now you say, why, preacher? Listen, for some strange reason, for him to be um, associated with us, acquainted with us, relating to us, it just makes need in him. And that's a mouthful to say. If it's not a need, then that probably isn't the wrong word. It meets a desire in him that he has. That's a better way to say it. Okay? Can you imagine him? I mean, you talk about this up here in the choir. He wants to have a real relationship with us, Greg. Lumps of clay, look at me. I don't see y'all beating on my door to come and say, hey, let's go on vacation. Let's go fit. And I'm glad you don't, all right? I mean, you're always welcome to my house, but at my age, I like my lazy boy in my study. So going to all these places, y'all get what I'm saying. But he wants to have a relationship with me. You know, he comes to my house and knocks. He comes to my door and knocks. Isn't that amazing? But I got to go on. I want to stay off my notes so I'll get done. When you say, how, how then, how, who, who, are the, who are the good seed? It is the children of the kingdom. Everybody saved, say amen. Everybody's been born again. Say amen. Listen then. You are the good seed. You are children of the kingdom. Now we're in the world. We belong to the church. But we're in the world. 
This is Jesus' domain. I mean to tell you, listen, friend, He owns it all. The field is the earth, and the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And you know how you got into this kingdom? You get in it not by natural birth, not by natural seed birth, but by a birth by an incorruptible seed. 1 Peter 1.23, by the incorruptible Word of God. See, that ought to make you tingle down your spine. Hey, man. So the sower is the Lord, the Son of Man. The good seed are His children, those blood washed, redeemed, spirit-filled, name written in the Lamb's book of life, people who claim Jesus as their Savior. The field is the world, and look now, it has both good seed and bad seed in it, and this amazes me, it was God's intention for them to coexist side by side. Everybody look, God's got us here for a purpose. No accident. These kids that hear their parents say, well, that one there's an accident. No, it's not. No, sir. No, you, you never dreamed you'd have a midlife baby, but God's sitting up there laughing his head off. Look there what I surprised them with. Amen. You're, you're not an accident. You're, hey, listen, you're a blessing from God. God's got a plan and a purpose for you all the way. Man, I'll tell you the damage parents does to their children trying to be cute. But look, look at the tears. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit of time here on the tears, but not too, too long. There's some beautiful things when you begin to look at the tares and the wheat and you begin to contrast them. The tares are the children of the wicked one who is the devil himself. Now, look, let me tell you something. Jesus, this parable says, while men sleep. The Bible said, listen, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers or sleep. That is kind of a hyperbole. It is a metaphoric statement that, that when something was going on, something else was going on. And the enemy came by sowing his seed. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus lets him. His seed is tares. Now look, let me spend just a moment of time telling you what tares is. Tares is a weed. I've heard people in the different readings and study calling it darnel. It is something that early on in its growth looks like wheat. It's almost in, uh, undetectable that it is not wheat as it is growing early on. But guess what? Guess what has to happen when you can clearly know whether it's wheat or tares? When it begins to bear its fruit. When it begins to bear its fruit. So the devil, now listen to this, I'm going to describe him, is the great deceiver. He is the great deceiver. And here is the message of this parable. God wants us not to be deceived. Now listen, set up, pay attention. We're living in a day of great deception. People will look straight 
in a TV camera with millions and billions of people looking at them and tell a barefaced lie. Preachers fill the pulpit so they can fill their pews. They'll tell people a lie. Oh, I didn't get much help on that one, but it's true. I could call a few names, but God's not led me to this morning. Y'all know I'm not embarrassed to do it. People need warned. Let me give you a verse I'm way ahead of myself. 2 Peter 3, 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax. Worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. Hey, get it folks. This world isn't going to end in revival. This work that God has called us to, we're not going to win the world. Newsflash, not everybody's going to be saved. And it won't happen like the universalists believe, that after people die, spend a little time in hell, God will it out and everybody eventually to go to heaven. That's not going to happen. Y'all getting awful quiet here at a point in time. We're living in a day of gross and great deception. Do y'all remember when, when uh, I'll, I'll just be real kind this morning, when politicians would veil the truth of their heart by the words that they would speak? They, they wouldn't be nearly as bold as they are today. You understand what I'm saying? Today, friend, they just blurted out what their intention is. And can I tell you, friend, listen, it's not so much them as the enemy that's behind it. He wants to wreck America. He wants to wreck this church. And believe me, it's work to wreck your home and your life. And you know how he does it? Through deception. I'm going to have to park here just a minute. Y'all know why we don't hear too much about uh, shacking up anymore? Uh, that's living together without a marriage license and having premarital, extramarital sex. You know why we don't hear much about that anymore? You, you know why that uh, homosexuality and, and uh, gay marriage is becoming accepted? Not, not because the Supreme Court okayed it. I don't care what a man okays. Bless God, when God says it's wrong, it's wrong. Let me, let me cut to the chase. You, you know why drinking's accepted, smoking dope, taking it, doing all this junk, you know, that's ungodly, unholy, that ought not to be named among God's people? Listen, we're to be a separated people. It's because they watch so much TV. Now listen to what I'm going to tell you. And they become insensitive to the truth. And listen, when you laugh at what you see, you can't stand against it very well. Are y'all listening? Now if that condemns you, thank God. Change your channel is a delete thing on your channel selection. There ought to be certain things we don't give our approval to, our heart and our time. We're in a time of deception. Can I tell you all they look at preachers... I warned Tanya, I said, listen girl, I said, you've never heard this old dinosaur preach, I still spit and sweat. Y'all know they still, say, they, there are people saying today that I'm the reason that there's problems in America today. I'm the cause. 
I've not changed what my ancestors have preached. I remember preaching when I grew up was a lot worse than what I'm doing. Me and man cutting shines as they declared thus, saith the I'm just simply trying to stay with the book as it's been long time. Not changing. But the tares, they're children of the great deceiver. Turn with me quickly. I think we got time. Turn with me quickly. I think God slowed the clock down today and I say, glory to God. And you're back there praying now. Speed it up, Lord. Speed it up. This is what he said in verse 44 of John. Now Jesus, friend, listen, doesn't point any punches. And you say, why was Jesus so hard? Listen, he wasn't hard. He was truthful. And can I tell you, truth is hard. Truth demands something. And the Bible clears declares clearly let man God be true and every man a liar listen to what he said to a bunch of people that were children of the devil said you are of your father the devil bless God I could have even understood that statement and the lust of your father he will do you will, you, you will do he was a murderer from the beginning abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaketh a lie he speaketh of his own he is a liar and the father of it. It's no wonder they wanted to crucify this man. There was a time Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's funny I wish I had time to look, see where it's at in the book of Matthew, I believe it is. I wrote out beside my Bible in the margin. This is one of the funniest things I've ever read. The disciples got him off in private after they got away of hearing the other and said, you do know they're upset with you. That's a paraphrase on my part. But the tares, friend, look, it somewhat amazes me. I told you a while ago that God allows these two uh, kingdoms to run parallel with each other. Matter of fact, intermixed in some degrees. But what amazes me is that God, listen now, this is for men. God allows Satan to have success. But look, thank you, Lord. When this comes true, I love when things just come, bam, right from the throne. Do you remember there was a time that Jesus tried the nation of Israel to see what they would do? Y'all remember that? Anybody got any concept? Does anybody? I'll bring it back tonight and show Do you remember it? I mean, mean, he let them do what they did to try them to see what was in their heart. Does that help you anymore? I'm in the book. Everybody at least believes that. Say amen. He tested them. And he tests us to, listen, a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. God knows our heart, but at times we don't. And we need to know. I don't know about you, but I don't want any surprises at judgment. Now we that go to the Bema, if we're called to the Bema, we're in good shape. Glory to God. If you miss the Bema, you're in big trouble. So we won't answer for our sins at the beam, and that's not what I'm saying. But I'll tell you what, we'll give an account of the deeds done in our body when we get there. So I don't want any big surprises when I'm called to the judgment bar of God. I want my sins to go before, like Paul said to Timothy. So, these tares, they closely resemble wheat early in their growth. But there are several differences. And these ought to make you happy. Do you know what tares will do? Tares will stand straight up when they grow. You say, well, preacher, that's what most 
things do when the sun comes. You know, the sun pulls them. They, they stand upright. But you know what the wheat does? This will bless you. When it starts getting ripe, it bows its head. I don't need to say anything about that. Can I tell you what else? You know what else it does? It also bends its head in the direction of the wind. Thank God. And if you don't know what that's speaking about, we ought to give way to the Holy Spirit when He comes blowing in our life, regardless of the direction He's sending us. He bows His head. You ever see a field of wheat just, just leaning up? Just, I mean, the wind blows over it. It just... That's where the wave started, by the way. It didn't start in the, I don't know what's a, 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 a NFL anymore, but it, it didn't start in some NFL fo- football stadium. It started in, a, in, in the plains of Nebraska somewhere. I mean, you, you, you know what I'm saying? They just, just kind of flow. It's so beautiful. They're just leaning over. I don't know about y'all, but that's where I want to be. When, when I just think the Spirit of God is blowing in a direction, I want to go with Him, don't you? Hey, we're living in a world that is so proud. They are so falsely deceived mainly about themselves. How many put a selfie out? The first picture they take, they put it out. How many do that? I dare you. My wife, she invented selfies. She was taking selfies way before the internet came out. How many of y'all... You're, you're going to be chicken, but I'm going to ask you, how many of y'all ever put a selfie up on, on, on the internet to put it out about yourself? Anybody? You bunch of liars. You bunch of chickens. Thank you for being on it. I love you, Tara. I'm proud of you. You're the, you're, you're the strongest person in here. Thank you. You want a little bit of that soup too, don't you? Amen. But you, I, Wendell, you had no reason to put yours out. You're in trouble anyway. You No, I'm just kidding. Hey, but listen. Don't put your hand up even if this is true. Well, no, I'd rather have this hand. Anybody ever put the worst picture up of themselves out on the internet to be seen? Or the first time you snapped it? Not on your life, dude. You say, why? We're too proud. You know what the internet has done? It feeds into this stuff. I mean, it gives people, listen, a voice and prestige, really, they haven't deserved. Now, everybody needs to be heard. Ever heard me say that? Say amen. Everybody ought to be able to have a voice. Say amen. I even was talking to somebody in a conversation earlier today as a counselor. I've helped women who have suffered sexual abuse that have lost their voice, get it back. One of the greatest successes that I've ever had in counseling is helping others that lose their voice get it back. So please don't take any of this out of context that I'm preaching. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of people on the internet putting things out that I don't want to hear. Let me go a little bit further. They shouldn't even be saying. You said, well, you got yourself in a hole. No, I'm on top, dude. I'm not down in. I am in good shape where I'm at. Tears and wheat. Now, a lot of people think that humility is weakness. It's not. But let me go on. Tares. You know what their roots do? Their roots intertwine with the, with the root of wheat. I mean, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to get a hold and hang on. Hey, let me just tell you this. Do you know what? The roots of, of, of a 
of a stalk of wheat do? Hey, when they, listen, glory to God, get happy again. When it begins to ripen on top, the stalk and the root begins to die down below. Amen. This world is not my home, just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from God's celestial shore. And I don't get home in this world anymore. Isn't that beautiful? As that thing ripens and gets to where it's bringing forth its fruit, ready to be plucked, ready to give what it is intended to give, everything connected with the world dies. That's the way you and I ought to be. That tear, man, it's grabbing for anything it can hold on to. It wants to make sure, you know what, it's there for a while. I'm getting close to being done. Tears, they produce a, a black seed. Did y'all know that? Black has generally been pictured as a type of sin throughout the Word of God. And that's its fruit. And you know what that fruit does if you eat it? It'll make you dizzy. It'll make you dry. It'll make you sick. Whereas, friend, listen, the wheat, you know what it does? It gives life. How many of you ever heard that bread is the staff of life? Say amen. You know where bread comes from, don't you? Ground up wheat. Hey, God, isn't that amazing? That's good. And you know what the wheat does? It absorbs light. That's what it does. It absorbs the sun's rays. And therefore, it's able to give life because it gets life. Do you know what, friend? That's a one. Hey, in the stalks of the wheat again, friend, as the fruit ripens, the stalk and the root dies. We need to die to self daily, the Word of God would teach. Let me move on. So wheat is the good seed, children of the kingdom, the born-again believer. Now we know who the devil is. Or who the enemy is. He's, he's the devil. He sows seed in the midst. And listen, his intention of doing that is to deceive. To deceive. Look, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and 5. One of my favorite verses when it comes to this. 2, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, is one of the great uh, chapters in the Word of God. It's one of the greatest on the apostasy, but please take note of this verse. I quote it often. I, I've got it underlined three times in my Bible. The Bible said one of the marks of peerless days is that there would be a group of people who will have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Y'all know there's a lot of people today who want to be associated as a Christian, associated with a church. doesn't matter what kind. So they can just appear to be Christian, although they're not. They don't want the Word of God to change their life. They don't want the Spirit of God to convict them. They, they, they don't want to do anything that's really Christ-like. They just want to be associated with the church so people think that it's all right with their soul. You're talking about deception. You're talking about, you're talking about deceived. It's a mark of the last day. And I turn, since you're so close, right there, turn to Philippians, not Philippians, Ephesians 4, I believe it is. Yeah, verse 11. Now look. I, I like I, I love Alan's preaching. Everybody's man. I'm getting close to being done. Believe it or not, not not enough, Judy. Hold on, but but I'm getting close to being done. Alan said the other night when he began to talk about when the children of Israel or or when when uh, Elisha was with Elijah and they went uh, to Gilgal and then to Bethel. Did y'all hear what he said in that? You see, after Gilgal 
is a new beginning. It is a rolling back. Gilgal is a picture of a new life, of, of a new birth, actually. If coming out of Egypt, crossing, you know, that place of death, burial, and resurrection, the river of Jordan coming into, uh, into victorious Christian living in the land of promise. Not a picture of heaven, but it's a picture of victorious Christian living. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. So after they got to Gilgal, they went to Bethel, the house of God. That's where we're supposed to be after we're saved. I said, after you go to Gilgal and have a new beginning, you go through the death, burial, and the resurrection, you go to Bethel, the house of God, because that's where you're supposed to be. Thank you. I don't care how old you get, you ought to go to the house of God faithfully. I don't know why it's so hard for people to get. I, you know, I want to help. And you say, preacher, you hammer on that. Can I tell y'all something? I tell myself when I get here, I am not going to say anything about church attendance. People aren't going to hear me anyway. Y'all know that? I don't care how, I, I don't care what I'd harp on. They're going to do what they want to do. Doesn't matter what this book said. Doesn't matter what God says. We're in that generation. I'm not trying to be mean. But can I tell you, God's plan is this. And look why. In verse 11 and following, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers. Pastors, teachers is where we're at today at this present phase of the church age. Those are the gifts God has given to the church. It's not the day of apostles, not the day of prophets. There are still evangelists, pastors, teachers. Now I know that's not popular. A lot of people think, but what's a day of prophets, prophets, prophets? No, it's not. Mark my word according to the word of God. But look, he did it for a purpose. Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. Look at verse four, or 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith, unto now uh, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what Paul did when he went to Galatians? He labored to get those people saved, and then he said, I labor to get Christ formed in you. Isn't that amazing? Now let me just ask you, is Christ forming in you? You'll have to answer that more than me. i got my opinion. i got confidence in you. I'd say yes. But how much more does he need to grow in you? Now let me go on to give you this last one. We'll move on. That henceforth we be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine and cunning craftiness, uh, of a sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie. Now watch this last phrase, and wait to deceive. Listen. Hey, the devil's after me. I'm looking at every one of you. The devil is after you. Now the good thing is he can't have you, dear old booger. Matter of fact, he's seeking to devour you, Peter said. Am I right? We're living in the day of deception. We need the truth of this message today. We need to be cautious. We need to be aware. That's one of the reasons Jesus gave it this saying, Now look, I've underlined this because I wanted to read it as God gave it to me. Great damage the good seed must understand is the greatest deception that the 
seed of the devil can bring into our life. And it's that, the greatest damage they can do is when they present what they call the truth that is closest to the truth, but not truth. I feel like I made a mess of that statement. Let me try it again. It was perfect. Well, let me practice it. All right. Lord, if men, you can understand it. They got some hope, don't they, Mark? I don't mean that. You know. One of the greatest damages that the seed of the devil can bring into our life is by, listen, presenting something that is almost true, but that is not true. And y'all know why that's happened? You know why that Because they're doing it to deceive. Hey, everybody listen, look up here. I may get something wrong from this pulpit from time to time, and I'm sure I do. I'm my worst critic. Y'all don't have to say a whole lot to me. I already know what you are thinking and going to say when you, when you bring it. And that's okay. You can tell me. I, I like constructive criticism. I just don't like people that are critics. It's a big difference. You can criticize if you're constructive. You're just no critic because you're an old nag. I don't want to hear it. I don't have time for you. And I won't listen to you anyways. I may be wrong in some things I say unintentionally. I'll never get up here to say anything to you to deceive. I'll guarantee you that. I won't have that trouble in judgment. I may have trouble with why I was ignorant, but I won't have any trouble with being deceptive. I've never tried to deceive anybody in my life in my preaching. That's what the devil is doing today. Listen, he's doing it far too successfully. Look with me quickly in Matthew chapter 7. I'll catch up to you in just a minute. Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24? And I've, I've, I've got to hurry. I've got a few minutes, but I'll, I'll be done. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 4, 5, 11, and 24. And that has to do, listen, friend, with end times. The tribulation, actually. And if it's going to get bad in the tribulation, friend, leading up to the tribulation, it's going to be bad. But Jesus said, be not deceived. Four times in one chapter, he said, be not deceived. He's talking to us. Listen. Friend, you get a little slick tongue, somebody that's handsome, knows how to speak and knows how to act and whatnot, you'd be surprised what people swallow whole. Look at what he said in the book of Matthew chapter 7. I believe I told you to go to verse 15. You all know it. Stay there with me because I'm going to get you verses on over in there too in chapter 7. Look what he said in verse 15. He said, Beware of prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. There's a lot of that going on today. Look at what he said in verse 20 and 21. Since I'm so close, I'll get it out of order. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out um, um, out devils and in thy name done wonderful works? Then will I profess unto you, I, uh, unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Go to the book of 
I know I've got it written down here somewhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I believe it is. I don't see it, but I know I've read it here this morning. Is that it? Lordy mercy, where's it at? Where does it tell us that the devil is going to be turned into an agent of light? Be not support- there it is, 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 15. Is that it? Ah, there it is, 2 Corinthians 11. Everybody there say amen. He said, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, meaning the messengers, by the way. And no marvel for Satan himself was transformed in the angel of light. You're talking about a deceiver having power. Can I tell you the picture that cartoons give the enemy is not true. He's not an old ugly red barm with a long tail and, and, and horns on his head. Oh, the goat depicts him. Okay? And he loves that, by the way. But I'm telling you what, listen... Lucifer is the most beautiful angel in heaven that was created. Y'all know that? Y'all realize that? And can I tell you why he's successful in deception? If, If it's blatant, I mean, if it's ugly, if it's bad, if it's uninviting, if it doesn't seem like it will satisfy, you're going to turn your head and say, well, that's stupid. But when it appears to be good, when it seems like it will satisfy, and it's just what you need, You're open to it, are you not? Listen, the devil knows what he's doing. And no marvel for Satan is that transformed the angel light. Therefore, is no great thing if his ministers, children of the devil, if his ministers of righteousness, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Did I get that right? Whose end shall be according to to their works Clarence Sexton says the devil does some of his best work from behind the pulpit far too many in our day and I'm closing far too many in our day and I'm going to read what I've written are word only preachers they know how to act much better than I do they know how to speak much better than I do They're more charismatic than I am. They're more articulate than I am. They are very convincing. But as the children of the enemy, friend, listen, their teaching cannot stand up to the truth of the Word of God. And that's what we've got to check it on. And listen, I'm going to give you a paradox. I want you to take my word when I preach, but I don't want you to take my word when I preach. I want you to trust me. I've worked to build that trust, to build your confidence. I've worked hard. It may not seem like it, but I have. You say, preacher, you know some things. Yeah, but i got to work like a dog to get what little bit I know. And I'm glad. I, it's no problem. Study to shoe thyself approved. I want you to trust me and accept what I say, but don't you trust me and accept what I say to where you don't check me out with the Word of God. Don't you ever get to that point. Don't you ever get to that point where you trust me or any other of God's men to that degree. Listen, folks, according to the book of 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, we're living in that day of the great falling away. 
the last great apostasy. Folks, we're neck, we're neck deep, Greg, in it. I think we're a little higher in the apostasy, though. I'm telling you, friends, we, we're living in the day of the last great apostasy that will take place before Jesus comes. Far too many, far too many have fallen for things that entertain instead of edify. Places of, quote, worship, unquote, have been made to look like places of the world with flashy things, applause, loud music, smoke, lights, and laughter. All things that are necessary to cater to the flesh and build up everyone's sense of self that is already overinflated. That's a great statement, although it's mine. That is a great statement. Now, you won't hear it quoted by somebody preaching. I know that, but it's still a great statement. Look, I love you all. I want you to prosper. I want more for you all sometimes than I think you want for yourself. But as long as I'm here to preach or anywhere God gives me a platform to preach from, I'm going to tell you the truth whether you want it or not. I'm going to tell you we're all sinners in need of grace. I'm going to tell you we ought to mortify the flesh. I'm going to tell you we ought to grow in grace and the knowledge. I'm going to say that God's holy, therefore we ought to be. I'm going to tell you we ought to separate ourselves. We ought to be what Christ demands, expects, and has called us to be. I'll love you. I'll be there for you. I'll minister to you every opportunity. You'll give me a chance to, but I'll be honest to you and with you. I, I, like, I like to laugh. Hey, Debbie will tell you, when we first got saved, we almost thought it was an unpardonable sin to laugh in church. You remember that, Debbie? And, and at that time, me and Debbie was watching two old men in the church, along with another young couple. They couldn't keep their eyes open. They didn't, man, we were sitting over there. We were batting a bus. Horse sitting died and went to the grave. Wonder why we were laughing that much that night. I like having a good time. I, love, I like telling a good joke. Pulpit-type jokes. I don't want the other kind. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. So anyway, I'm not dumb. I'm going to quit. Listen, the last part of this parable is so sobering, it's not funny. There's going to come a time of judgment. God's got all this, friend. Now listen, it's not my, it's not my job to contend, condemn somebody to a devil's hell. It is my job to judge the Bible says, he that is spiritual judgeth all. Beginning chapter 7 of the book of Matthew says, judge not lest to be judged. And that's as far as anybody reads. And the world can say, well, you ought not to judge. You ought not to judge. Matthew 7 said, you ought not judge. Read on in there. And it tells you, you ought to judge to see whether they're false or true. Same chapter, same book. I'm going to pay attention. I'm a watchman. I'm not a watchdog. I am a watchman that watches and warns. And I'm going to tell you, friend, listen, if you've been deceived, you can be saved. If you've been deceived, you can be delivered. Thank God. There's coming a day. He that hath ears, let him hear. That those who are children of the devil, they're going to be bound hand and foot cast into unquenchable flame. Isn't that awful? The place where there's weeping and wailing, 
and asking the truth. So you know what I'd do if I were you? I'd seek the truth. I, I mean, I'd buy the truth and sell it not. I, I, I would embrace the truth. I'd go to God and say, God, I need to know right now am I saved. I need to know right now are my sins under the blood. Is my name recorded in heaven? I'd want to know.